All right. If you're watching online today, thanks for joining us. We're glad that you are here. We're going to jump into part two of our series called Through the Valley. This is a series we're doing primarily on anxiety and depression, mental illness. Um, our goal in this series is this. Now, Christy kicked it off last week, and she really kind of set the tone for the whole series by saying two things, that God is with you in the valley. And when we talk about the valley, we see in the Old Testament, valleys were synonymous with difficulty. It was an actual valley they were in, but it was also synonymous with going through a hard time. Um, when you're in the valley, that God is with you in the valley. And the other thing Christy said was, you are going through the valley. Don't settle for the valley. Don't set up camp there. Don't think, well, this is where I'm going to stay. I'm feeling anxious. I'm battling depression. This is where I'm going to be the rest of my life. We are going through the valley. So my goal in this series, and as Christy and I have been talking, we've been praying about this. We want you to know, first of all, that it's okay to talk to people about this, that there is help, that this isn't something that you need to keep hidden. We do a terrible job in the church world at times thinking we've got to keep all of our um, imperfections hidden because only perfect people are at church, and that clearly ain't the case with all of us today, right? It's okay to talk about this. You are not alone. There is help. There is hope. This uh, season that you're walking through does not define you. It's not who you are. There is hope that you're going to get through this. So throughout this series, we want it to be a mixture of support and prayer, but also really practical help, first steps that you can take, way, people that you can talk to. Ways, and today really is going to be about ways that we can use the word of God to really help us tangibly make some progress in these areas of our lives. I wanted to start with this. It's a story of a valley. We're going to kind of tell a valley story every, every uh, week of this series in 1 Kings chapter 20. This is a story of the nation of Israel in the book of 1 Kings where they are at war with the Arameans. King Ben-Hadad is the king of the Arameans. And King Ahab is the king of Israel, and they're battling against each other. And the Arameans have always a, an enemy of Israel. So they have this battle, and they're fighting up on the hills, and Israel is victorious. And so King Ben-Hadad of Aram, because he's just been defeated, he starts to make excuses. He says, well, they only beat us because we were battling on the hills. This is biblical proof that in 3,000 years, men have not changed one bit, right? <laughs> when we get beat, we always say, well, I would have beat you, but you took a head start, or the sun was in my eyes, or... In this case, it's, it's King Ben-Hadad saying, well, you only beat us because we were up on the hills. And he says, if we were to fight in the valley, we'd, we'd kick your butts. I don't think kick your butts is in there. But King Ben-Hadad is saying, we would beat you if we were fighting in the valley. And then he makes this statement, and this statement's up on the screen here, because he makes this claim about the God of his, the Israelites. Their God is the God of the hills, but not the God of the valley. Somehow... King Ben-Hadad has made this assumption that, well, God of Israel is going to help them on the hills, but once we get down into the valley, he's not going to be anywhere near them. And that's how we're going to be victorious. And so this is what happens in verse 28, after this claim is made. First uh, Kings 20, verse 28 says this. Then a man of God, the prophet, came up and told the king of Israel, King Ahab, this is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans think that the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys. I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. I love that. I love that that verse is in there because we know valleys are synonymous with going through difficulty, with going through trial. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So knowing that about valleys, I love that God saw to it that this verse would be in the scripture saying, people think I'm just the God of the hills. I'm the God of the valley. I am the God who is with you in the valley, not only to be with you, but it also said so that everyone will know that I am the Lord. In other words, when we're going through a difficult time, when we're going through a valley, God is with us. 
And he is with us in those difficult times, not just for our benefit, so that other people are going to be seeing what God is doing. When you walk through a valley with the help of our God, it is an offering of praise to God. And other people are going to notice it, saying, look at that person. God is clearly with them. But I love that God reiterates, I'm not just the God of the hills. I'm not just the God who is with you when you're on the heights, when you are victorious, when things are going well. When you are at your lowest, I'm the God of the valley as well. I love that. And I think some of us need to hear that today. God is with you. God is with you, leading us through the valley. Don't camp out in the valley. Don't settle for the valley. God is leading you out. So we're going to do a lot of practical information today, and we have a special guest who's going to come share with us. Her name is Lindsay Hansen. She is a licensed therapist and counselor. We have known her for a long time. She's an old friend of ours. Not old. A long-time friend of ours. Uh, I think maybe Christy baby ba- babysat you and your sisters uh, at a young age. But she's been a long-time friend of ours. She's a licensed therapist and counselor. She's coming to share just for a few minutes just on some really great practical information. Can we please welcome her as she comes? Um, I just want to first of all thank Jeff and Christy for being so aware of this issue and talking about it in church. That's so great Um, because it's kind of been a stigma sometimes. So thanks. Um, I'm going to give you like a crash course in like 10 minutes on depression, anxiety, and burnout and some practical things we can do. So depression is, in a nutshell, dwelling on the past, just living in the past, sitting with our thoughts in the past about, oh, I wish I would have done this. I should have done that. Why did this happen? Why me? Um, And camping out there. But guess what? It's over. That's done. There's nothing, absolutely nothing you can do to change the past. So... We have to let that go, leave it behind, and move forward. Uh, Anxiety is, in a nutshell, dwelling on the future. So thinking too much about the what-ifs. What will I do if this happens? What if this person says that? What if I don't get the job? What All of the what-ifs and uh, concerns about that. Not helpful. It's good to plan and uh, think about those things and set goals, but when it turns to anxiety, not helpful. Um, 91% of the things that we worry about never even happen. Like, how crazy is that? And the other 9% um, are usually not as big as we thought they were going to be. So one practical thing that you can do is throughout the day, throughout the weeks, um, whatever it is, write down all of those things that you worry about. Write down all those thoughts that you get stuck on. And then I want you to schedule a worry time. So you don't get to worry about them all day long. You just get to write them down real quick. Leave, leave your little post-it note or where you ever have, you have that aside. And then schedule your worry at time. So maybe it's like 8.15 at night. You're going to worry. For 15 minutes, you're going to limit yourself. Um, And I bet when you go back and look at that list, 
a lot of those things, you're going to be like, why did, I, why did I even care? Why was I even worried about that? Like, that's so petty or that's so ridiculous. Or those things will have already come and gone, and you don't even have to do anything. Um, and then there's going to be some on that list that there are things that you have some control over that you can problem solve it. Write a list of action steps. What am I going to do about those things instead of worrying about them? And there's going to be some things on that list that you'll just have to radically accept. There's absolutely nothing I can do about this, or I've done everything I can, and now I just have to accept it and let it go. Accepting doesn't mean, doesn't mean saying it's okay. Um, it's just saying, yeah, this, this is how it is. Um, now, if you get to that point and you're like, these are too big, like I can't, I can't do these on my own, get therapy. There's so many resources out there. Um, Pastor Jeff and Christy have a list of providers that they refer to. You can go on psychologytoday.com, find a therapist, put in your filters. What are you looking for? You can see a picture, profile, decide if that's someone you want to go see. Um, another thing I want to address is burnout. Um, and burnout is related to anxiety, and anxiety is related to depression, and it's just this vicious cycle. So how do we avoid burnout? Burnout comes from a lack of self-care and setting boundaries. So self-care is not selfish. We have to take care of ourselves if we're going to be any good for anybody else. So get that out of your mind if it's in there that, well, that's selfish. I can't do that for myself. You have to. Um, it's that idea of putting your own oxygen mask on first before you help everybody else. Because if, if you can't breathe, you're not going to be very helpful. Um, so lack of self-care, setting boundaries, I'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, but also a huge trigger for anxiety and depression, and don't close your ears if you don't like what I'm about to say, but <laughs> social media. Um, I have social media. It's not bad in and of itself, but how much time are you spending on it? And what are you, what are you looking for? Um, usually, people put their absolute best out there. Look at me, look, I'm on vacation, look at my new outfit, I'm so cute. Um, that's, that's what they're posting. What are we comparing to? I'm still in my pajamas. Look at these ugly sweats I'm wearing. I never get to go on vacation. Um, you know, we compare our worst with their best. Um, that reminds me of something, this was a few years ago, somebody saw some posts that like, my family had posted about a vacation, and they're like, oh, you all looked so happy. And I'm like, guess what? Me and that one person, we were fighting the entire time. <laughs> it was not fun. <laughs> but we didn't put that on social media, you know? <laughs> so be aware of that. Um, now, emotion regulation is something that we have some control over. There's things that we can do every day to regulate our emotions. So I'm going to give you an acronym. It's PLEASE, P-L-E-A-S-E. -E. The P and the L, it's a little bit of a stretch. I didn't make it up. 
but it stands for physical illness. Um, when we're feeling crummy, our emotional vulnerabilities are going to be higher. So go to the doctor. Take the medications that your doctor has prescribed. Um, treat your headache, whatever it is. Take care of your physical illnesses. The E stands for eat healthy and balanced. And do that throughout the day. Now, you don't have to go crazy. We get a little extreme, I feel like, as maybe Americans or just humans in general. We think, oh, eat healthy. I need to throw everything out of my cupboard. I need to get on this. I need to buy all the paleo cookbooks and or Whole30 or whatever it is that year and, like, transform everything. No, eat a few vegetables and fruit throughout the day. Maybe some protein. That'd be good. That sustains you. So this is... These are things that will help to regulate your blood sugar. When it's going like this, your emotions are also going like this. So, eat healthy. Avoid mood-altering chemicals. Um, and this is everything from, let me explain myself, everything from caffeine, energy drinks, to meth. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's stay away from meth just altogether. But... Um, but like even caffeine, energy drinks, you know, you're, you're drinking that all day long. That makes you feel anxious. Um, you become jittery. And so if you're already worried about something or you're already kind of an anxious person, that is not going to help you. I drink coffee every day. Love it. But there's got to be a balance. Uh, sleep is the S. Balanced sleep. Don't sleep too much. Um, you won't feel well-rested. Um, you'll start tanking, start feeling kind of depressed. Uh, don't sleep too little. That's not helpful. Your body needs sleep in order to recover and be ready to go the next day. So seven to nine hours is usually pretty good for adults. And then the last E is exercise. So again... Nothing extreme. You don't have to do a couch to a 5K in 30 days. Like, ew, I hate running. <laughs> Just walk. Like, take a walk around the block. Uh, do some stretching. Whatever it is, getting active and moving your body releases endorphins and serotonin. And that's what we need for those feel-good chemicals in our, our brains. Um, then another thing along self-care is we, quite often we get hung up on this idea that I need to be just like Jesus, and Jesus did everything for everybody all the time. So I need to sacrifice myself and my life all the time to be like Jesus. Two things. You are not Jesus, <laughs> and Jesus didn't even model that. That's a misconception. Jesus would leave crowds of people to go and pray and get alone and get quiet before God. You're like, okay, what's next? There's, there's always going to be needs. There's always going to be places that you can serve. Um, but you can't be all those things to all people. So what is God asking you to do? Um, then lastly, I want to leave you with a couple of resources. Um, the first one is When Pleasing You Is Killing Me. It's a book slash workbook. When you get caught up in people-pleasing, 
guess what? Leads to burnout, anxiety, depression. Um, so that's a good resource. And then also approval addiction is the other book. Why are we doing the things that we're doing? And is it for anything other than serving out of our abundance? Um, when we try to serve out of our lack, no good. We serve out of our abundance. So that's it. Thanks, Lindsay. That is great practical Practical information is a lot, a lot of good stuff there. Um, we have we have those books in our house. Um, the whole thing of, and maybe you can one of one of us, Christy or I, might be more people pleasing than the other. But we both have walked through seasons where it's like just managing the expectations. And I remember uh, of other people, and and especially in the church world, I remember talking to a, a counselor when I was really struggling a few years ago, and and, and even more recently, I said, well. You, you hear things like you got to take care of yourself, you got to take care of yourself. But in the church world, we, we listen to the teachings of Jesus, and it's like, well, you have to die to yourself and uh, put others first. And so it's a hard balance, right? If, as Christians, it's even like in a, in a, with a godly motivation, we can start leading ourselves where we put these expectations of what other people need or are expecting and leading us to burnout. And what Lindsay said is so right on. We have to take care of ourselves first. And so I'll say this. If you're serving at church here and you, it's starting to get to a point where you're like, oh, man, this is doing it for the wrong reasons or I'm getting burned out, take a break. We, we, care, we say this all the time. We care more about you than what you do, anything you do for the church. So just know that we, we want everyone to be doing well, to be having appropriate boundaries and self-care and, and putting the oxygen mask on yourself first. That was so good. Thank you, Lindsay, for sharing. All right, we're going to be, uh, for the rest of the time, I want to look at a couple of verses in Psalm 94. Got a couple of verses, about 20 minutes left. We're going to talk through um, really some practical steps how we can use the word of God to help us through some of these valleys, another practical tool for getting us through some of these battles of anxiety and depression. In Psalm 94, the psalmist is writing, and there is um, all this injustice and wickedness going on in the nation of Israel and the surrounding nations. And as a result, the poor are being mistreated. No one's caring for the widow, for the orphan, all the things that God said to do. People are being taken advantage of, and there's arrogant leaders who think they can just do whatever they want and they'll get away with it. This is causing a great deal of angst, what I'll say anxiety, conflict in Israel. So I want to make the connection today between what's happening in Israel, how there's something wrong in Israel causing the anxiety in the people. And what Christy talked about last week is in our lives, Anxiety is a really good indication that something's wrong in us. Either we're burned out, brain chemicals, there's trauma, there's something. So I want to kind of make that connection. And there is a verse, a couple verses in Psalm 94, verse 17. I want to read these. And this is in the midst of all this that's happening in Israel. It says this. Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. I love verse 19. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. That's a great verse. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. So I want to look at the consolations of God, how God uses his word, uses his character, his faithfulness to help, as it did the nation of Israel, to address what was wrong and help them move forward. How he does that with us, when there's something going on in us that's leading to depression, anxiety, mental illness, whatever conflict we have, the consolations of God are there to not only console us and make us know it's going to be okay, but to also give us the tools we need to move forward and to move through it. I think 
when I think of consolations, um, I think of those two things. That first of all, when you think of consolation, you think of someone who consoles. So imagine God being the God who comes, consoling like you, you uh, something bad happened and God comes around, puts his arm around you. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Like we do as a loving parent when our kid is struggling. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But the second way that God consoles us, the second thing I, I think of with consolation is God coming around us and saying, it's going to be okay. Now let's move forward and get through it. And with parent, we understand with parenting kids, and Christy and I do both of, the, both of these kinds of consoling parenting things. So sometimes it's one parent is one way and the other is the other way, where it's one parent is the, oh, I'm sorry, it's, oh, it's so sad and it's so hard, and here's some chocolate ice cream and we're going to make you feel better, right? That's good. I'm all for the chocolate ice cream parenting. But then the other parent, the other parenting is, I'm sorry this is happening. Let's move forward. Let's solve the problem. Right? It's hard to know what to do with, with kids, and we want to kind of do both. It's hard to know husbands and wives. Husbands, we try this with our wives, and we always get it wrong, right? Do they want just the chocolate ice cream consoling? I'm sorry, that sounds really hard. Or do they want the, here, let's solve the problem. We love to solve the problem. Typically, that's not what they're looking for, right? We learn the hard way. No, I just want the consoling. It's impossible to know. I've Actually, there's been times where I've consoled my wife with, I'm sorry, that's happening to you. That must be really hard. And she looks at me, she's like, what is that? I want you to tell me how to fix the problem. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to know? So the, the way to know, husbands, if which, which type of consoling your wife wants is you guess and you get it wrong and then you do the other one. That's, that's kind of how it works out. But I think God is like this with us. There's the consoling as it's going to be okay, God's with you in the valley. And God is gracious to be with us in the valley. But I think as gracious as God is to console us when we're hurting, he is more gracious to come alongside of us and reveal what's going on in our heart, reveal the root of the issue, and say, let's move forward so that we don't have to dwell in here. If we're in a valley, we're stuck in a valley, it's nice having God say it's going to be okay, but the end game is to get through the valley with God's help, and that's what we're going for today. So that's what I want to talk about. I, I put it as an example like this. Think of it like you're in an old dungeon. You're locked up in a dungeon, some old castle like you see in the movies. Now, God shows up and is in the dungeon with us and said it's going to be okay. That's great. That's good consoling. And sometimes God in his power can blast the doors open and we can walk through in freedom just like that. And there is power in prayer. So mental illness, physical illness, we believe in the healing power of God, right? We're going to pray and sometimes miraculously God can turn it around. But I think what happens more times is that God shows up in the dungeon with a shovel and he says, hey, I'm with you. And I know the way out, and I'm going to guide you every step, but let's get to work, and let's get out of here. Let's get through this, and we begin to do the work that is going to get to the root of the problem so that we can get through the valley. Does that make sense? And I love that God offers that to us. So much of it is, and this is what I want to talk about today, is just changing the way we think about things. Now, it's easier said than done, but in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, a very familiar verse in Scripture, it says this, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, what was that word say? Mind. By changing the way you think. Other translations say, be, be transformed by changing the way you think. Because... God knows that so much of our life is dictated by the way we think. So much of our actions and habits and patterns of behavior are dictated by the way we think. And so if we can renew our way of thinking, 
That is going to lead us through a lot of these things. But I love that God is saying this not just as a command, like this is what I have for you followers of Jesus, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the fact that God said it through his word means that it's possible, means that this is a goal that's attainable, that you can have your mind transformed. And so this is what I want to talk about today because controlling our mind is so important. This is really where we start in all of these sort of life issues that we face is changing the way we think because our minds control so much of our lives, right? The, the patterns of thought. I have a couple of illustrations for this. So we have a dog named Millie. Millie is a Lab Vizsla mix. Great, sweet dog. She's wonderful. Every day at 5 o'clock, we feed Millie. And we know it's time to feed Millie because every day at 5 o'clock on the nose, Millie knows to come and sit down right in front of whoever's around and be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she can't tell time, but she knows. Like, it is uncanny, like, on the nose, 5 o'clock, because her brain has made the connection of this time of day means food, and that's rewarding, so now I know. And every time... It's just been programmed in her, 5 o'clock. It's amazing how close she can get. The sad part is, a few weeks ago, daylight savings time came. <laughs> you know who the real victim of daylight savings time was? Millie the dog. Because she came and sat down and stared at me like it's food time. And what time did she do that that day? 4 o'clock. And I said, Millie, you got an hour to go. And she, I tried to explain how the planets work. <laughs> and somebody changed the clocks back. And means more or less sleep, one of the two. And... Um, but her, I mean, we understand that. You reward a dog when they do a certain thing, and the brain makes that connection. Now, in people terms, I've, I mentioned a few weeks ago, having a church right across the street from the bakery is good, and it's a blessing and a curse. I'll say that. And I used to eat lots of donuts, and I was like, I can't eat that many donuts. And I would start to say, okay, Friday is donut day. That's where I'm like, yay, made it through the week. Donut day. Well, wouldn't you know it? As soon as I like start turning into the neighborhood Friday morning, what am I thinking? I'm like, a donut day. I'm like Millie at five o'clock. My <laughs> mouth starts watering. I'm like, I know what's coming. Donut day. Well, and then it grew into more like, you know, I would have donuts on other days. Well, it's because I'm here. My, ma my brain has made that connection to church means donuts, <laughs> right? And then what happened was a few weeks ago, I had to do a wedding where I needed to put on a suit that I hadn't worn in a while, and that something was wrong with the button because I couldn't <laughs> button up the pants. And I'm like, what is wrong with these pants? And so m the way my brain worked programmed me to want donuts, and that had actual physical ramifications, okay? So a, a funny way of looking at it, but the same thing is true for any pattern of thought and behavior. When it gets reinforced or rewarded, it becomes automatic, and then we just start doing things or thinking things without even recognizing we're doing it. Does that make sense? That's how our brains work, biologically speaking, and I'm not a brain expert. But in our brains is all millions and millions of just neural pathways and connections that are being made. So when you make a decision, when you have a pattern of thought, your brain is making that connection. And the more a connection is made, the more the brain does it automatically. It's how the brain becomes more efficient. Recreate the same thought and response, and it'll become easier next time. It becomes a habit. And the longer those thought patterns are reinforced and repeated, the more entrenched that neural pathway is where it just happens automatically. Think of it as a rut. You know, it's, and there, it's, it's how habits are formed. These pathways that are reinforced and like a rut in our brain, it's just like it happens automatically. It's how habits are formed. It's also how we get better at things. So if I go practice the piano one day, and then I leave and come back the next day, I'm not starting at ground zero. I remember some of the things that I learned the day before, and the brain is making those connections quicker. 
It's how we get, it's how uh, we avoid danger. There is a plus side to anxiety. If I walk into the woods and around a tree is a ferocious bear that attacks me, my brain is going to make that connection. Stay away from that tree. So the next time I go in, same bear attacks me, the brain is going to make the connection even better. As would some of my friends saying, stay away from the woods. But eventually your brain is going to get to the point where now anytime you go close to the woods, your brain's going to be going, danger, don't go in there, right? This is, there's a good side to anxiety. It keeps us safe. But it's also how negative habits and patterns are formed. It's also how anxiety can take over where we've thought so many times and those patterns of anxious thoughts are reinforced so many times that it happens automatically. So that I'm worried about the bear where I'm not even, I'm not even near the woods. Bear's long gone and I'm still having the physical reaction. This is when anxiety becomes a bad habit, a negative pattern. So to illustrate this in other ways, um, let's say financially speaking, let's say you're sad one day. You're like, I'm just going to go buy something new, buy a new toy, buy a new outfit, a new video game or whatever it is. And you're like, oh, that felt happy. That was good. Your brain is making that connection. Sadness the solution is to go buy stuff. So you're like, oh, and your brain is going to make that connection so that the next time you're sad, the first thing you're going to want to do is, I'm going to go buy some stuff, which then leads us to patterns of spending, and then we get into debt, and there's physical ramifications for that. But yet our brain is still going, no, you got to spend, you got to spend, because that's what's going to make you happy. Maybe your mind is controlled by lust, by lusting after images or people. It's because your mind has been rewarded or conditioned to think that way. And so even though you're trying, like, I don't want to look at those things. I don't want to look at that online. I don't want to look at other people that way. Your brain is making that connection of this was rewarded in the past. It's programming you where it feel, ever feel like your thoughts just happen to you without any control. This is what your brain does. I have some friends of mine who are recovering alcoholics. And they say it's amazing how even after all these years of sobriety, certain environments or certain people or certain instances can just bring up that memory of, when they used to drink and there's that connection that's still there. It's like I could be around something and even a certain smell would cause me to be like, oh man. And it's just like your brain makes all those connections about back when they would drink and how hard it is to stay sober through some of those things. Some of those what they would call triggers. I have a friend who says, you know, I used to drink a lot when I would watch football. So anytime I watch, which I guess happens a lot with Vikings fans. <laughs> but any, and so he says anytime he watches football, it's just that thing of his brain is remembering this is when you used to drink and it becomes a much harder temptation to overcome because our brains are doing what they were designed to do, only they're having a negative impact. So with anxiety, with depression, if you are constantly allowing yourselves to think thought patterns of fear and worry and conflict and anger and resentment or bitterness, your brain's going to make those connections and they're going to become automatic. They're going to become automatic so that you're thinking these things, having the physical ramifications all on your own. It'll become automatic, causing you to feel something is wrong even when nothing is wrong. And this is when anxiety is a negative thing where you have the effects of that. You're constantly worried that something bad is going to happen. And what Lindsay said, 91%, I loved that stat. So many things we worry about and feel the effects of are not going to happen. But this is what our brains do, the physical ramifications for what our mind is doing. I will say this real quick. Our culture is a fear, kind of uh, a culture of fear and anxiety right now. Everything is fear and anxiety. It's just our culture wars, and especially in the last two years, COVID and vaccines and masks. Everyone is like geared up for a fight. 
Have you noticed that? People are way more willing to argue. If you're any so in any sort of business of uh, you know, people service where you have customers, yikes. People are a lot. We had someone who's nodding right now who is, uh, works for the airlines. They're like, man, the airlines are just... I'm like, yeah, people are all geared up because we've amped them up with this fear and anxiety and conflict. And then we watch the news, and the news is all bad news. And it's more than that, it's groups of people that we're opposed to, and now look at what they're doing. And we watch our news programs where it's like, here's what our thoughts are on this. It just gets everyone all amped up. And then we watch our little anxiety factories that we walk around with, and we subscribe to different things. And all of it is doing is just building up that fear and that anxiety so that we're all amped up, ready to just fight on a moment's notice. What that's going to do is cause your brain to just go there automatically so that even when you're not in the midst of it, you're going to feel all angsty. It's a good word. Angsty and amped up and ready for a fight. Have you noticed? Maybe you notice that in your life. You're like, I'm, I'm way more willing to get in an argument. I think it's everywhere right now. We have to do the work of turning off some of those things. Just turn it off. Recognize it is still good. There can be a break from that. And we give our brains a break from that kind of anxiety factory that we live in. So how do we get rid of these patterns of thought? How do we get rid of these ruts that we, that we would say are, are in our thoughts or in our minds? How can we renew our minds, as Romans says? There's a pastor from Oklahoma named Craig Rochelle, a pretty well-known guy. He wrote a book recently called Winning the War of Your Mind, Winning the War in Your Mind. Uh, change your thinking, change your life. He's addressing a lot of what I'm talking about today, how our thought patterns dictate how we act. And he talks about this. We get rid of the ruts in our brain, those patterns of thought, by digging new trenches. He called it the difference between a rut and a trench. A rut is like a pattern that if uh, a rut in my backyard when we had our old dog Buster, he would run along the fence in the same pattern every time to bark at everybody. And eventually a rut got in, the grass was all killed. It was just that pattern that was walked over so many times. Well, we renew our minds, we get rid of those ruts, and Craig Rochelle says, instead of ruts, we dig new trenches. Trenches are something you intentionally dig to bring nourishment where it's needed. If you have a river here and something needs water over here, you dig a trench and nourishment gets there. And he says, we can do this mentally as well. We renew our minds by digging these new trenches, by creating new nourishing pathways in our brain. In other words, thinking about different things. And this is where the consolation of God comes in because he's given us the tools to do this. He's given us his word to do this. So how do we do this? We start with the word of God. Now, I know this sounds like a preachy Sunday school answer, like, of course, the pastor is going to say, just read your Bible. That's part of it. But it's more than that. It's taking the word of God, contextualizing it for what you're battling through, and then applying it, and then acting on it as if you really believe what it said. And when we do that enough times, we're creating a new pathway of thinking. We're creating a new trench of healthy thought patterns so that when our brain used to automatically go to conflict or depression or anxiety, now we're training it in a new way to think of the faithfulness of God. And there is good ahead and there is no need to fear and I can be a blessing, right? This is what we can do. This isn't just, you know, metaphor and made up Sunday school stuff. This is actual impact that the word of God has in our lives. This is why we want us to be in the word. So Craig Rochelle gives this example of finances because he, he mentions this in his book. He said he used to have this unrealistic fear about resources, about money. He was irrational. He said he grew up in an environment where he would be fearful of extra expense. And then even when he was older, whenever the kids would ask for something, he'd be like, oh, no, I can't. 
talking to. And it was just fearful about money. He could never be generous because he thought, I need to keep it. I need to have it all to myself. He said, even when we had more than enough to be a blessing to people, still that thought pattern was there of, I need to hold on to it. I can't be a blessing. So he recognized this was an unhealthy thought pattern. And so he says this. He says, first, you recognize the lie, and then you counter it with the truth, and then you apply it to your life. So he gave this example, and it's going to be up on the screen. The first one is the lie. You recognize the lie. And here's the lie that he wrote down. It's right out of his book. It says this. I must provide for myself. There is a shortage of resources. I am going to run out. I can't afford to be generous to others. It's all up to me to provide. So that was what, and I love what Lindsay said, write down the things that you're afraid of or fearful of. I think we could do this. The things that cause us anxiety, write them down. Over the period of a week, I bet you're going to see some patterns. And then you can start to recognize things that are a lie. And you can start to recognize, I'm fearful of this, and I know that's not true. These were the lies that he recognized. And so then he said, you counter it with the truth. So he started using scripture, and this is going to be up on the screen. Philippians 4.12, it says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. 2 Corinthians 9a, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Philippians 4.19, God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So he took those scriptures. Again, there's a bunch of scriptures on God's ability to provide for you. But he took those and then he created this declaration. He applied it to his life. And his way of thinking as a way to repeat it and create a new way of thinking to renew his mind. And it was this, this declaration that he wrote down and he repeated all the time. Money is not and never will be a problem for me. My God is an abundant provider who meets every need. Because I am blessed, I will always be a blessing. I will lead the way with generosity because I know it is truly more blessed to give than receive. And that statement, he would repeat it. And he said, I would walk around with it written down. I'd take it out. of. Anytime I felt fearful, I'd pull this thing out and I'd read it. Again, we're, we don't always want to be the crazy people, but this time I'm okay with it. Walk around reciting things. I am creating, you know, I, I, money is not going to be a problem for me. Checking out a target. I know that God will provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. Or worse, when your wife is checking out a target, you're like, I know God will provide all my needs. He would do that as a way of just retraining his brain. It takes work. But I think this is the moment when God shows up with the shovel and says, let's get to work. Let's get to the root of the problem, apply the truth of his word, and see how our minds can be renewed. So that was the example he gave in his book. So what I wanted to do is take it for in, in regards to fear, anxiety, depression. So I did a little, pro a little project myself this week. I said, so I recognize some of the lies about anxiety. So here's some of the lies, recognizing the lie of anxiety. I am in constant danger. I must always be on high alert so nothing bad happens. My safety and well-being is all on me. There is good reason to always be afraid. So you might recognize patterns of your thought if you write them down. Like, I'm always fearful that I have to keep myself safe. I have to keep my family safe. It's all up to me. I feel that pressure, that anxiety. Well, that's a lie. And what do we do with the lie? We counter it with the truth. And so if you want to know verses on anxiety from the Bible, there's a lot of them. And you can just type it into the Google machine and find like uh, thousands of posts on Bible verses for anxiety. But what I did is I took one chapter, Psalm 121. This is a chapter that I have memorized 
um, over the course of my life, and I bring it up whenever I'm feeling anxious, like God is not able to care for me. And this is how we counter the lie of anxiety with the truth. Psalm 121 says this, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? I love the visual here of somebody in the valley looking up at the mountains. Where's my help going to come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. And then you can make this declaration. First of all, I just wanted to highlight, I love in that chapter it says, the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. In this culture, in, in this part of the world at this time in history, the moon was synonymous with mental illness, with the hidden things that torment your mind. So when, they, when the psalmist says, the sun won't harm you by day, referring to all the things you're going to face that we can all see, all the battles you're going to fight during the day. And then at night, the moon will not harm you by night, meaning the things that haunt your mind in the middle of the night. God's going to protect you from both. I love that. I love that that's in there. It's actually why our word for lunar comes from the same root word as lunatic. It's because that idea of moon darkness was synonymous with mental illness. And God says, I'm there for all of it. Sun's not going to harm you by day nor the moon by night. So with that truth, we recognize the lie. We find the truth. And so here's a declaration that I wrote down about anxiety. It says this, I lift my eyes off my circumstances and feelings, and I look to God. My help comes from him. He made the heavens and the earth. He won't allow me to stumble. I can rest knowing that he never sleeps and is constantly and capably watching over my life. There's nothing I will face today or tomorrow that removes me from the watchful care of God. Now, we could write down something like that and just be like, every time you're faced with an anxious thought, just like, I'm going to take the lie and I'm going to apply the truth. And then I'm going to act as if I really believe the truth. What I love about what Craig Rochelle wrote about uh, when he made that declaration about finances, he had an action step in there. He's like, so I'm going to lead the way with generosity. I'm not going to let the anxiety of finances cause me to shrink back and hold it all. But in order to kind of retrain my brain, I'm going to step out and be generous. There's something about an action step when you are feeling anxious about something to not let your mind know that that anxiety is going to cause you to shrink away and avoid it. There's something powerful about applying the truth and then taking a step. So if you're feeling anxious about something, um, don't allow that to be the thing that, that hinders you from doing it, but apply the truth of God's word and then say, I'm going to step into it with boldness and faith, knowing that he is everything I need, that I need not be afraid of whatever it is that you are afraid of or fearful of. Does that make sense? So then one final thing, depression. Here's the thing, recognize the lie of depression. There is nothing good, there is no reason for joy. Things will never get better. How I feel is my reality. I am a depressed person and always will be. And those are the lies of the enemy trying to make you feel that that is your identity. But here's the truth. Again, we use the scripture. We recognize the lie and we find scriptures that counteract that with the truth. Psalm 42, why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 34, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we recognize the lie, we find the truth, and we make this declaration. When my soul is downcast, I will choose to hope in God. He is the God of the valley. He has blessed me with good, with his presence and salvation. Even when I can't feel it, I know and declare the truth that he is good and he is everything so much of this is just recognize how we feel is not the reality. How we feel is not what the truth of God's word says. There's so many times where we feel like the world is caving in, yet it's a matter of choice and faith to say, but I know what God says. I might feel this, but I know the truth, right? So I want us to apply these things. Now, this is going to be, you can take screenshots of these. You can find these notes or whatever. But more importantly, what I want you to do is do this for yourself because you're going to recognize different patterns of thought in your life. You're going to recognize some of the lies that the enemy is using to trip you up with anxiety and depression. You're going to get into the word and find scriptures that, deal, that give you the truth of this. And then you're going to be able to contextualize it for your life. And you're going to do the work with the shovel, with God in the dungeon, and move forward through the valley. So I encourage you, write down the things you're afraid of this week, fearful of, feeling depressed about, counter it with the word of God, and write a declaration, and just start proclaiming it over your life. When you're fearful, just start declaring it and move forward, and just see if God's not going to use that step of obedience to retrain your brain to think differently and for your life to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen? Let's pray together. Thanks, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you were doing in our lives, that you don't leave us in the valley. You are the God of the valley, not just on the mountaintops when everything's going good, but when we are in the depths, you are there with us, leading us through. That is overwhelming for us. So, Lord, I pray for anyone listening to this right now who's feeling hopeless, who's feeling that it is a lost cause, something that they have been battling for years. I pray that you would renew their hope today, that you are leading them through the valley. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Homestead Church, for being here today. By the way, real quick, um, we do have these Through the Valley scripture books available as you walk out. Um, you can grab some of those. These are just little scriptures about valleys and how God is with us in that. So this would be a great place to start for some scriptures to memorize. So grab a few of those on your way out. Have a great day.